oh my gosh, these downhills like are killing my legs like, like never before. And, and not like, oh, my quads hurt, but I, like it kind of felt like my bones were smashing and they weren't like spoiler, <laughs> my legs are fine. Hey, welcome back to the next episode of the TRW podcast. We're speaking with Jenny Quilty today, who, yes, is a returning guest, but we always get such great feedback when she's on the show because she's really fast, really fun, but she also just has a really great energy and perspective, and we've had the opportunity to chat with her throughout the years as she's kind of got to each new stage of her running career, and we've got to hear a bit about the process and her relationship with her coach and the good things, the hard parts. So it was really fun to chat with her today because we talk about Western States and her amazing time of 18 hours and 49 minutes, which got her 11th place this year in the fastest women's field of all time and would have been probably fifth or sixth any other year. And we talk about how that felt mentally, knowing other years she would have been so much higher, but equally at the same time, getting to be involved with the sport when women just kind of went balls to the wall this year and it was absolutely amazing to watch from the outside so how cool it was to be a part of that and how that's going to help her get faster so lots of fun things we chat about today and a bit about the course and just catching up with Jenny so I'll link to her coaching and her Instagram in the show notes and all of that good stuff if you would like to hear more from me we have two places on Instagram now because the podcast has its own Instagram. So at Trail Running Women Pod. So I super encourage you, super encourage, that's probably the correct English, to go follow that Instagram account. And that's where you can send guest requests and all that sort of good stuff. And I'm also posting a bit about my own training and where I get to run across BC. So if you want to see the amazing, beautiful Pacific Northwest, check it out there including Fat Dog 60K, which we're about one week away. So I'll definitely post about that race. Speaking of my own racing, I also do a personal monthly training blog on Patreon. The link to that is in my personal Instagram as well as the Trail Running Women podcast Instagram. And that has also a backlog of episodes. And I just put up the 76th episode, which was a trail tips, because the... Apple and Spotify only have about 100 that they leave on there. So I try to put them somewhere where they will live forever. So if you're interested in those, you can check them out there. I might also make a tier that has my favorite workouts. TBD on that. Anyways, I'll take feedback for things you guys want in the Patreon because that's sort of just a fun side piece of the podcast. So we will be doing another trail tip soon. If you have questions for the podcast, please don't forget to send them in and you can do that via the Instagram also. And if you do it through the Trail Running Women podcast Instagram, probably it's going to get jumped in the line because that's where I'm trying to focus all of the things that are in one place because I lose DMs. We all do. It's very confusing. Anyways, thank you all so much for your ratings and reviews. Last two reviews were absolutely lovely. So I love when I see those and love the support from you guys. So thank you so much and happy summer. Okay, back with us a possible fourth time is a local guest to the Lower Mainland who we spoke to as you were training for Western States, getting ready. We knew you were going to do well. Didn't, you know what? Actually, no, that's a lie. Also, we're talking to Jenny Quilty. And I was going to say you exceeded my expectations, but I think I've learned to not actually have oh. expectations because your like trajectory is so wild that I there's no way of knowing how good it's going to be. And this obviously blew everybody out of the water. So huge congratulations and welcome to the show, Jenny. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That's a, that's a really fun way to start it to hear you say that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's especially for us who have like known you, I think we even said this last time before all of this and how like, then it just felt like you showed up one day and started getting course records and then all of these amazing goals that have gone on. So it's been so fun as we say to follow along, but Western States was such a goal of yours and it all seemed to go so smoothly. So I'm just so excited to get into kind of everything that was that race and and break it down as much as you want to. And maybe you can relive some of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't like, I've, I've obviously done that a bit myself, like through writing and talking to like some of the people that were there, but I'm, I think we'll get to, as we always do, we'll hash out some different things <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I'll get to relive it a bit now that it's basically been like a month. So that's really cool. Yeah. And how are you feeling a month after? Good. Yeah. You know, that feeling, like, I think we all go through this with any big goal. It's like, well, even like the next day, you're like, did that even happen? And now that it's been a month, I think I have to come back. Like it's conversations probably like what we'll have today that remind me that it did in fact actually happen because, <laughs> you know, a month goes by so quickly and you're like, wow, you know, a month and a day ago, I was going to bed before doing Western States, which is like kind of unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. And I find it such this weird thing too where like you're just living normal life in like the grocery store for example and you're like but I was just in like this other world for however long and all the yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly like well again I will dig into it I'm sure but it's like that idea that it means everything and nothing like you know it's like such a those are my two words for western states is like and and lots of races and, and running goals in general it's like it's your everything and it's your whole world and it means so much. And then like the next day, it's like, yeah, you still have to take the dog out to go to the bathroom in the morning. Yes. You'll have to brush your teeth like a normal human. <laughs> and like yes. all these things that, yeah, just kind of like go back to normal and, and no one like really in the scope of the world, like no one knows what you've done or why you've done it or why it's special. And um, that's like, that's a good thing. I think it's, it's a good thing and it's a cool thing about our sport, but it is also a weird thing. Well, it's a good thing to know and understand Mm. and say out loud because I think then if anything shifts and you get excited about something else your whole identity isn't just wrapped up in this and you're able to make that shift without feeling like you are not you for a bit right yeah yeah or like if something doesn't go well or even when it like and when it does but probably easier to maybe or like more important to have a coping strategy for if it doesn't go well is being like yeah like this this isn't every like the only type of everything or this isn't my whole being or the only reason I'm like a nice person. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't, for some reason, I was just reading another one of your Instagram posts. And I was like, it's kind of like a relationship where you're like, I want this person in my life and they make me better, but like you don't need it. You can still. Yeah, and those are some of probably the healthiest relationships. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, okay. Well, that was a nice tangent to start. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> one done. So, let's get into, let's start with maybe like the month leading up to Western mm-hmm. States. I know you chatted before that you don't like a huge taper. And I know there was some talk, is it going to be really hot? Is there going to be what kind of weather? So tell us about your kind of mental prep going in and what your biggest fears were and how the taper crazies went for you. Oh, that's, yeah, so fun. Okay, so looking back, I guess starting five weeks out from States, I actually went down and lived in Tahoe for five weeks. So I was up at altitude and that was intentional for that training benefit. And again, I had the opportunity to do that. So I thought, you know, why the heck not? And um, it would also allow me to hopefully get some time on course and um, maybe be in the dry heat. And it's so funny, as you said at the beginning, oh, it seems like everything went so smoothly. I'm like, well, Tahoe was covered in snow. It was 12 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and where I stayed, um, it was fantastic. 
but it was about three hours from the course, uh, like from the parts of the course I wanted to run on that were not covered in snow. So uh, yeah, I drove down there and was there for five weeks and um, training was really, really great, but it was exceptionally hard to get good vertical because anything you climbed in Tahoe was a post-holing like snowy disaster. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, well, okay, <laughs> like this is different um, than expected. And I ran um, some beautiful, beautiful trails, but yeah, it was, it was definitely different than expected right from the get-go of arriving there being like, okay, <laughs> new plan. Like got to, you know, roll with this. Uh, and I knew that going in, like there was no, you know, it was no secret that Tahoe had the most snow ever <laughs> this year. Um, so that was expected, but yeah. And then, leading up to the race, the taper was, um, I don't, even, I don't even remember now. It was like, it was good. Like for me, it felt really, really, really good. Like I knew, I think on the Thursday, Friday of race week, like my Friday shakeout in the morning before the race on Saturday morning, I was, I was like, Oh, I feel recovered. I feel excited. I feel ready for a hard effort and a long day. And, um, so I, I knew things were in a good spot and I was going in feeling pretty confident in my taper. Nothing, you know, nothing was hurting or annoying. And I think the taper was a was really important for this one for me because my crew had arrived and there was a lot of like background logistics going on, you know, just simply in telling nine different people how to get into the Airbnb and like where we'd be at what time and planning a, like a, you know, a team dinner and going over who's going to do what on race day and who's going to drive my pacers to their different starting spots, like all those different pieces. Um, it was a lot. So it fit really nicely to have, yeah, like taper week be a pretty low week. And then the extra stress just came from those things, <laughs> which was like good stressors too. Yeah, for sure. Like it helps you get excited, but the amount of admin you're right is so wild. Yeah, because I need a life manager like more than ever. <laughs> um, it, it's hard, right? Like when you're the one person, as the racer, you're the one who knows the whole plan. And, and as you should, no one should be, you know, more invested necessarily than you, <laughs> the racer. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much communication to do. <laughs> and I and I live by myself, like in Tahoe, I was there for um, five weeks. And for two and a half of it, Matt, my partner wasn't even with me. He was back home working. So I was like, I have been living a very quiet life for a long time. And now everyone's arriving. So yeah, it was really fun, really exciting. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a good balance of quiet time before the race and then race week, like really kind of building the hype and excitement um, to head into the Saturday. So I'm curious, we talk before a lot on the show because people always have this question. If you have a race that's at elevation or altitude, do you just go in right away is one option and race the next day. So you don't have time to like mm-hmm. be kind of in the middle of adjustment or yeah. do what you did, which is obviously a, a harder investment, but yeah. it's a race like this, it makes sense. Did you, have you done the other way too? And did you feel mm-hmm. that being there for this long made such a difference? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I did the Mammoth Trail Fest in Mammoth, California last September, and it was a 50K and it starts at like 10,000 feet and goes up to about, I think, 11,000 feet at its highest altitude. And I'm um, sorry to go switch between the systems for Americans and Canadians, but being that the race was in America, they told us it in feet. So that's what I remember. <laughs> and either way, it was at and above altitude. And I arrived, I believe the day or two before so that I was in that, you know, technically the worst window of that, like 24 to 72 hours or something after, um, or 48 to 72 hours after arriving. And then that was so hard. Like I, I remember running 
and thinking like, oh, I want to say hi and thank you to these nice volunteers. And like, I can't, <laughs> I will, I will just smile and, and shake my, like nod my head. <laughs> and, and so this time um, living at altitude in advance, I felt that click. Like I felt for myself when I first arrived, you know, running hills were, was kind of gassing me. And I definitely noticed after being there, I would say probably for myself, it was around that two to the, like the second to third week where I was like, oh, like I have adjusted. Um, you know, this isn't hard anymore. So I think there was definitely benefit for being there. Um, I think like, again, that is very unrealistic for most people, even for myself, like to go back to a race at altitude uh, or that starts at altitude. I wouldn't be able to do that every time. And I won't do that every time. Um, I think, you know, like get there for as as much as much in advance as you can. I don't think people should worry about, you know, racing within the first 24 hours because also depending on what event you're doing for a lot of the ones at altitude, like they might be really, really long events and you're out there for, you know, into that bad window anyways. So I think I would just get there as early as possible and kind of know how it's going to feel and pay attention to hydration more than normal and um, like just, just roll with it because again, most of your competitors are probably in a similar situation. So yeah, because with the States too, also you start at altitude and you climb um, at Olympic Valley and then you have a net descent. So after uh, 50K into the race, you're, you're basically on your way down and out of being at altitude. So it's just that, it's funny to say, it's just that first 50K, <laughs> but it is just that first 50K and in a hundred miles, there's a lot of room after that if you're not, you know, feeling super strong at altitude. Yeah, for sure. But I guess, especially on this one, like that first 50 K is also the key time to be making sure you're getting enough food in to set yourself up for the rest. So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely makes sense for what you are planning here. Yeah. Yeah. I got like a good opportunity to feel it out and, and have that experience and um, be like, oh, okay. That's what it feels like, you know, to race when you're adapted to altitude up there versus again, the prior year when I was not, I'm like, yeah, that felt way different. I can say that for sure. <laughs> well, that's cool. Cause we always just or like, well, I don't know, because I've never had the chance to try yeah. and be out there. Yeah, I really like this. Yeah, I definitely really <laughs> like that. So you're you're running around, you're noticing that there's snow everywhere. Also, everybody mm -hmm. in the world knew there's like this crazy weather. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it's also supposed to be really hot. So what was kind of the game plan going in being like it's gonna be snowy and also warm? Yeah, so I I treated it like it would be a hot year, even though as the race day got closer, we realized like it's hot. It is hot. It's a hot race. And you can't like, even though people will say this year was not a hot year, it's like a hot year there is like getting up towards 40 degrees Celsius. So a not hot year is still 30, you know, and you're like, it's yeah. still hot. Um, so my plan going in was to really be patient over the snowy section. So again, that first 50 K because I, I just knew I needed to see what it was like underfoot and that anybody who tried to outrun like outrun themselves on the snow and tried to like push there was probably going to pay for it later um and and you just have to be patient and I think we saw that with a lot of the women's field on race days that we did stick except for like there was the lead pack and then the rest of us kind of just back from them um we really stuck together and there was like like no one was winning the first 50k you know because if you like I found there was spots I was like squatting and just like kind of skiing down the slopes. And then there was spots where you're like trying not to fall in tree wells or trying not to like strain your groin with a foot sliding down a slope. Right. So there was a lot to pay attention to. And you also, you could not find, you couldn't find the course. So a lot of the time we were running together simply to not go off course because you'd like 
three of us, I was with Esther and Leah, and we would just stop and see whoever saw a pink flag first would take the lead and then it would keep rotating back and forth because a, a pink flag would be to the right and then it would be a, like down the hill and then it would be off to the left. So we'd all kind of look a different direction and then head that way. So yeah, we were just being patient in the snow and that was the game plan going in. And then also the game plan was to start cooling in the high country. So by 50K, like we had already cooled in rivers and, you know, used some snow and and just to not let my body temperature and heart rate get too high because of, you know, altitude and the heat that was going to start to hit and make sure I was going into uh, or coming out of Robinson Flats again at 50K and heading towards the canyons with cooling already started. And then just to ride that cooling train with, you know, ice everywhere and water overhead and icy handheld bottles um, as much as I kind of could throughout the day and as much as I needed to. And in advance of the race also, like I, I did my sauna training as if it was going to be a hot day. So I didn't, you know, see that it was 10 degrees cooler than normal years and, and slack off on sauna protocol. So I think that was another uh, important race planning strategy that, you know, I think maybe some people probably got away without doing as seriously this year when they saw it was cool and, and others stuck to it. And that's always, I think, going to be helpful, you know, for heat adaptations, but for like training adaptations as well. For sure. And I, I do think there's some part that's just like some people do well and some people don't in, mm. in heat, right? Like, yeah, we always use Katie as the best example because she will be faster than me any day, but as soon as it's hot, I feel amazing. And she just falls off the trail and dies. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's some inherent, like you just get lucky with that or not. And that for me, like, I don't get, yeah, like I'm, I'm Katie. I don't get lucky in heat. I have to prepare for it. Like I have to diligently sauna um, and make sure I'm on top of doing that as best as I can. So yeah, I really stuck to that plan because it's like 30, like again, 30 for me would roast me like on a normal day. So I need to be, I need to be heat like tolerant. <laughs> Yeah. So that actually was going to be my question, but maybe you just answered it. We all have something that we're like, oh, this is my crux um, or most difficult thing. What is your biggest challenge in a race? Is it heat? If it like, yeah, I think if you're looking at it like environmentally that way, definitely. But I actually, I also am, I can proudly say, I really think I have started to overcome that just by putting myself in races that require heat tolerance and heat strategies um, I and I mean having access to a sauna frequently has really really helped and I think that over the past year like since preparing for the 100 mile in Thailand in December I um, I really think since then and just maintaining it I have like I wouldn't say conquered that because I'm sure on the right day he would throw me right back in my humble place but um, I do think I've gotten a lot better and it's no longer like in my head that I should not do hot races I just know I need to prepare and really not like let that slide or not get um too comfortable with it which I don't think I ever will but so what's your um sauna protocol so for the sauna I follow um I follow the protocol of well like right now I kind of keep it in my training as long as I'm not feeling too tired I do at least kind of every two to three days for a maximum of 30 minutes and then when I'm looking for heat adaptations also not hydrating for 30 minutes after the sauna or in it and then, um, so what, like if I was starting a heat training protocol and somebody like were looking to implement it, what I would do is I do seven to 10 days of every day for 20 to 30 minutes, kind of working with intolerance and just monitoring my heart rate to make sure it's not 
you know, jumping up above, like for me, um, like too, too high above like 110 beats a minute while I'm sitting there. That's, I have a pretty like again, high heart anyway. So that's not like something other people should necessarily apply to themselves, but I'll um, make sure it's tolerable. Basically, like if you're suffering, it's probably time to get out and then not rehydrate. Yeah. For 30 minutes after and not intentionally cooling. So like I'll get out of the sauna and have like a relatively warm shower and then um, wait again, like I said, 30 minutes in total before cooling or hydrating um, for seven to 10 days. And then after that, yeah, every two to three days for the 20 to 30 minutes and um, do that up until if the race is on Saturday, like usually the Monday or Tuesday of race week, depending on how, again, I'm tolerating it. Like if I'm tired, I, I'll do it on the Monday instead of the Tuesday. And if things are feeling good and tapers, you know, pretty strong, I'll, I'll go in on the Tuesday and that'll be my last day. Um, yeah. And then that's, that's usually kind of what I, what I do and what I keep going. That's awesome. I love that. I'm so, I'm kind of obsessed with saunas and the trying to push the distance. And I love that moment in the sauna when you're so uncomfortable and you get to practice that mental talk, mm. like exercise of being like, I'm not actually in any danger and I can sit here yeah. longer. Yeah. And like I, I set a timer. Sometimes I put my phone on the floor because again, it's, I have like um one that I can use that no one, no one else is at. So that's really nice. So I can put like a podcast on or I take a book and I read and I find it's like a nice time now that I actually enjoy and and I can get past yeah that challenging point again usually depending like if I'm if I am well adapted and I've been consistent like and the temperature is not too too high I can get to 30 minutes and be like okay that was like my nice sauna time um and again depending on what I'm preparing for like when I'm just maintaining and in my normal training I'll do it like around 180 185 and then if I have like a really hot race like for states I'm looking at like 190 and going in for 30 minutes and then by the end the last like you know seven minutes I'm like okay I'm gonna count all the wood boards in this sauna I am (laughs) going to count the knots on the wood in the sauna I'm going to take 10 seconds for every inhale and exhale and like time will pass yes oh I love it it does (laughs) random side question Mm -hmm. do you do strength training and what sort of (laughs) kind of taper in strength do you do before a big race like this also? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So strength training for me, like this is something, um, as a coach, like I individualize it for my athletes within run specific strength. And then for myself, I really do kind of, I'm going to say do that as well, where I feel like it is something I always mentally think I could use more of and more like quality lifting. But then sometimes in my peak mileage, like I'm like, no, I'm too tired. <laughs> you know, like I need to focus on recovery or prioritize that right now. So it depends where things are at, but like in a perfect world, I would do strength twice a week. Um, what I find actually works better for me is doing a little bit of something most days of the week with like, and that might mean like today being a rest day, I did maybe 10 minutes of core and some like ankle mobility. And that is like a strength day because I need the help with habit formation <laughs> and um, habit maintenance. So I, I kind of tend to do a little bit of something each day and then have like two days in the week where I'm actually holding heavy weights and doing things like step ups or split squats, um, like deadlifts and um, like maybe just one or two other moves like heel elevated goblet squats or things like that. Um, and then for tapering it, yeah, I, I do taper it. I tend to not, like, again, personally, I tend to not do it in race week, but I might do some band work uh, just to keep things activated, like neuromuscularly, um, but to make sure I'm not putting on any extra fatigue. And again, I think that comes, like, comes down to experience of being like, I went a very long time without doing it. So I know I can race without <laughs> strength in the week and, and feel okay with that. And then I, I yeah, want to make sure I just kind of keep things awake 
yeah, there's other athletes who like, I think benefit from, um, the strength still being there and then just like lightening the weights, but they do just as much. And then others who like, yeah, we'll take it right out in the week. So I've kind of played around with it a lot. And I think that's something I'd probably even vary between now for myself, like between a 50 K and a hundred miler. Mm-hmm. I probably, yeah, tend to keep a bit more in, in a 50 K and pull it like more out. Yeah. Like going into States, it was like the week or two before I was like, I'm just going to do some band work sometimes because I'm tapering and like, I, I think I need all my resources. <laughs> I just wonder sometimes like going into races like this, where you're like, you don't want to do anything new. You want to do the system mm-hmm. that you understand, but equally it's hard not to overthink it when you're like, Hey, this has been a goal for so long. So did you have any mental hiccups going into it where you were kind of spazzing mm-hmm. out or did you feel pretty comfortable <laughs> with everything going in? <laughs> I, I felt pretty comfortable because again, I just think I try to go with the thing of like, if you've done your training if you're not overdoing it, nothing that you are doing in those two to three weeks leading up should really change your race day, right? Like we know the fitness, hay is in the barn, whatever, like it's all in the tank. Like the fitness is not built in your taper, (laughs) but a race could be lost in your taper if you overdo it. So I tend to err on that side of like, it's better to be more recovered and maybe feel like you need some like little hill strides for activation than to be like, oh man, I'm still tired. So I just, I just lean more that way and I can mentally cope with that uh, and feel like better about it. I think, I think the only like, like mental hiccup I had going in was literally like the day before I had a great chat with my coach in person. And, you know, we don't, I don't really talk about goal times um, with him all that much. And I kind of said like, oh, I think I could be in the 19 to 19 and a half hour range. And he was like, I think you can run a lot faster. And I had this like, oh shit. <laughs> like, oh no. Like, and then so I remember going to Katrina being like, my who was my crew captain, what are we gonna do if I'm way ahead? She's like, if you're way ahead, like great, we'll be there. If you're way behind, great, we'll be there. Like, we'll be there. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so that was probably like that was a whole nother kind of learning curve in this one where I was just like, oh, like he's never said that to me, like, because we never really talk about times, but um, like he said to me, obviously I can do anything, but in that moment he was just like like he said sometimes that were much faster than I was thinking. And I was like, oh, oh gosh, if he's right, like I've told my crew everything wrong. <laughs> so yeah, we adjusted just more open, like open-ended times basically. And and then I just settled into that idea that, you know, I wasn't going to get caught up in whatever time I was running and um, more, I was just going to run the, run the thing. And if I was ahead, don't hold back because of it kind of thing. But yeah, nothing like physical, just more of, you know, the usual mental freak out the day before. Yeah, absolutely. But I I sort of love that your coach trusts you well enough to know he can put those ideas in your head and that Mm. if you're not on that pace, it's not going to ruin your day either. Yeah. Um, That's the big risk too, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it was, it was like the perfect conversation because it shook me out of these like ideas that there's limits. Like you said at the beginning being like, I don't have expectations of you anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I actually think like this was a learning curve. Like I believe pretty darn big. I set lofty goals. But I actually, in many ways, also need to stop limiting myself mm-hmm. with how I think those goals should play out. Because I think like that, yeah, that was kind of shown to me at States of being like, I came in under the time I thought I could run. And I think I could also run it faster. And I just wouldn't have ever thought that going in. And I was like, oh, there's some like myths to break down there and that I can work on. Um, yeah, just like not overthinking going in. <laughs> Just want to take a quick second to thank today's sponsor. This show is brought to you by AG1. So I started taking AG1 almost a year and a bit ago now, 
because I was tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted something that I could get into the habit of actually taking every day that was easy and also tastes good. So I was really excited to find that with AG1 and the long-term benefits that I have found are that my gut health is definitely better, my energy and my recovery, which are like my top three things that I need to just feel good in life and also race and run well. So I used to either have a green powder that I would have to plug my nose and chug to get down because it tasted so bad and that habit would last maybe two days in a row no matter how dedicated I was to it because something that isn't good was just way too hard to force myself to do especially if I didn't have all of my mental capacity first thing in the morning and sometimes at 4.30 a.m. I just don't. So the fact that it's easy and tastes good makes me kind of look forward to it. So I either mix it first thing in the morning or my favorite thing to do if I'm on top of things is to mix it the night before, put it in the fridge and wake up to a very nice cold glass of AG1 and know that I started the day off with 75 high quality vitamins and minerals. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com backslash TRWP. That's drinkag1.com backslash TRWP to check it out. So that actually you keep kind of going in the direction I want to go in anyways. Let's talk a bit about your performance. I mean, it was the fastest women's field I think ever. Mm -hmm. And the time that you got normally would have been top five or six and ended up with 11th (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is wild do you think like how does that feel is it disappointing to think like oh my gosh I could have done this a different year and it would have been this time or is it like okay well that many fast women maybe made me run faster how how does that feel yeah both honestly both like I'm so happy because again like I ran a time that I the day the day prior wasn't on my radar right like I I didn't have that on my radar and I thought I was setting a relatively safe time goal to come top 10. And so there was no point in the race or after where I was like, oh man, like, you know, like, dang it, I'm running in 11. Like it was just, it's full stoke. And like to, I've, I've said this, I think before, and like, just to be in that field, like there's nothing better. Like, why would I, like, you know, when we put ourselves out there and we want to get the best out of ourselves, we only get that, or for most of us, we only get that from ourselves when it's happening around us as well. And, you know, showing up like at a race like Western States where the goal is for a lot of people to have that competitive field and to see what we can do. Like, like that's the whole point, right? Like, I think, you know, if you, if you like flip it and it's like, oh, for some reason, if all of our times were much slower that day, I think I would feel more disappointed in myself, you know, like that would be like, oh, what, what were we doing? Like, were we all just holding hands and, and shuffling in the forest, which like would have been lovely, but we really pushed each other. And that's an incredible thing to be part of. And um, like, of course, at the human level, like, yeah, of course, coming fifth or sixth in my like, you know, debut has like Western States with that time would be freaking awesome. Like, that'd be so that'd be super fun. Like, there would be no negative feelings towards that. But at the same time, coming 11th, you know, being I think I can't remember how much like faster than any other 11th time place ever. And like in this top 10 women's field that was the fastest top 10s women's field of all time is like, that's freaking cool. You know, like that just speaks to our sport. And I think it speaks to how women are racing. I I feel like as I watch live coverages at other races, and as I reflect on what it felt like to be in that field, like, 
women are doing something really special right now. Like we really are racing together and we are working together. Um, and that's going to bring out the best in us. And like, I toed a line with Courtney DeWalter, like that's freaking cool. And got to be in a field where, you know, she was doing something so remarkable. And I think that concept of like, you know, we will like, we'll often have an easier time rising to the challenge when something, you know, something is going on there that we, um, like we don't expect of ourselves, you know, like it's like, we can, we can rise to the bar. It's easier to rise to the bar than like, um, like stay safe, you know, like if it's not happening ahead of us, we might just kind of hold ourselves back. And when there's somebody out there pulling from the front, somebody goes with her and then somebody else goes with her and that person in fourth is going a little faster than they would have. Right. And then the person in sixth, seventh, eighth, like they're all working to close that gap. So there is this like downward effect that really pulls the pack together. And yeah, I just think it was really cool to kind of be in that, I'll call it Courtney's tailwind <laughs> and, and um, get to feel that on the day. And, and yeah, coming 11th is like, okay, if I want to go back, I have to, I have to work for it, but I'm in, I'm not at all disappointed in that because I, I get to have another experience, like, to get myself back there if that's what I ultimately kind of decide to go after. And, and now I know what I'm going for, not like, uh, oh, I wonder if I want to run States, you know, it's like, I've been there and I know what I'd be racing for if I were in a ticket race. Well, like look at Katie Scheid, right? Like Katie Scheid came in under Ellie Greenwood's course record. And like, I think, I think obviously she's capable of doing that with or without Courtney, but the fact that two women went under the record on the same day that hasn't been broken in so many years is like yes. a perfect example of working together to achieve those things. Okay, so let's, we talk about the first 50K and trying to stay cool and having your game plan. Tell us just a bit about the rest of the, the race, like your your highs and your lows. Um, yeah. Let's start with that and then I'll ask more more questions about it. Um, yeah, so the race, like, again, it was, it was really, really great overall, but it wasn't an easy or perfect day by any means. Uh, like, it was perfect in some ways in that, you know, the outcome was great and I had a ton of fun, but um, it came with its challenges. So I found the section through the high country really, really beautiful and really fun. And then I remember we were like, 50 miles in I think and I was running with uh like around um Priscilla and Meg Morgan and I looked at Priscilla and I was like there is so much running <laughs> like she's a friend so it was you know it felt like a friendly conversation I mean we're all friends out there but it was just like this friendly moment of like oh my gosh yeah this race has so much running <laughs> compared to what we normally um see in Canada or what we've raced in our past experiences and um there, that was kind of when the heat of the day was starting to come in and we were about to head down into the canyons. And um, I think I've like alluded to this in our own conversations through there, but yeah, through the canyons, I like my stomach started to turn a little bit. It was uh, not great. <laughs> and and I, this came from, um, sorry, my dog is scratching. I don't know if you can hear that, but he says hi. And anyway, so into the canyons, there's um, there's like a few of the aid stations and they all have the goo drink mix, which I practiced with, but it wasn't in my race plan to use it. And this race just moved so fast that I didn't know where my electrolyte tabs were because I had done a pack swap. And I, and I actually still don't know to this day if they were in my pack or if they were not in my pack. And so I ended up using the goo drink mix because I just needed to like fill my bottles and go. And there was no time. Like there's no time. Like it's it's so wild to say in a hundred miler because every other hundred miler, I'm like, oh, you, you have time. Like the number one rule, you have time. In this race, I'm like, there is no time. <laughs> you do not have 10 seconds to check your pack for something. Um, 
So I use the goo drink mix. And I think just the combination of like the amount of carbohydrates between my normal fueling plan that had a like a noon tab, which is, you know, like 30 calories instead of 250 calories with the goo drink mix, it just kind of overloaded my system and things got a little heavy in there. <laughs> and um, so yeah, through the canyons, I was kind of battling some stomach upset. Basically, what I was finding is as soon as I would hit the downhills and think like, all right, great, like time to run, my stomach would flip on me and I would have to stop and squat. <laughs> and um, this also is a race that like, there isn't that much brush coverage, you know, for people who know, there were some really devastating fires throughout this whole area. So like, it is a barren land and it's not all that spread out yet. <laughs> so I I found that to be like, I was like, oh, okay, this is the, this is the story that's going to come out of my day. Like I had to stop and squat and let's see how many people come run up upon me while I'm squatting today. Um, but like, that's just part of the race experience sometimes, unfortunately. And so I think that like, that was kind of like the first challenge and, um, yeah, coming out of the canyons is, is pretty hot. Like you climb and descend three or four times and then you come up to forest Hill, which, you know, most people know if they're following the race, that's kind of the, the pivotal point where the race really starts. And, um, I felt like, again, pretty, like pretty good, but the downhills were the catch for me. And that was like, not what I expected because usually downhills are a really strong point for me. And especially on California trails where it's just like, it's just like smooth, buttery, like it's not technical. So you should just be able to run. And again, I think due to some slight changes in my fueling strategy and a few things changing um, for that and my stomach just kind of going, like every time I ran downhills, I was like, I just... I couldn't, like I was, I was running them, but like not with purpose, you know? <laughs> um, so that was, that was kind of a crux for me through the last, I guess, back half of the race where I, I think that's when I was like, okay, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to chase for like eighth, ninth or 10th um, after I left Forest Hill, because the next section is about 16 miles. And it's like, like in my head, that was going to be the relief of the day because it's just like a smooth net downhill. And I was so excited to get to that point. I'd have my pacer with me and we hit it. And I was like, oh my gosh, these downhills like are killing my legs like Nick never before. And and not like, oh, my quads hurt, but I, like it kind of felt like my bones were smashing and they weren't like spoiler, <laughs> my legs are fine. But in that moment, I, it was a new type of pain that I didn't really know what to do about other than to just try and keep moving and hope that it would change. Um, and unfortunately it just like really didn't. So I could run all the uphills, but the course is a net downhill course. So I think that's where I was like, okay, any of the times where I'd like to be gaining on other people or like, you know, at least keeping stride with them and then pushing my climbs to catch, I was probably actually losing time. Um, and, and that kind of just stuck with me throughout like the rest of, of the race into the last leg. So yeah, that was like, that was the challenge. And in the moment I was, just trying to do what I could with it. But, um, like my, my last pacer into the dark, you know, we'd hit the downhills and I, was, I would be like, I, I can't move faster. Like, I think if I, um, if I put more load onto my legs, like I'm, I'm either going to risk being able to run at all and have to walk out like 10 miles or like something's going to really like gonna drastically go wrong. Cause at one point I tried to push a downhill and yeah, like my one leg just seized up and I was like, okay, I need to walk for five seconds. Like this hat, if this doesn't settle, like we're in trouble, but it's going to settle. It's going to settle. And it did. So I was like, okay, that's a pain that we know we can change, but maybe I can't really push it. Um, so yeah, like, I guess ultimately it got to the point where I was deciding to lock in 11th versus push for ninth or 10th and risk 
walking out for three hours, you know, and then coming in like on a way slower time than I thought I was capable of. So, um, it, yeah, it was interesting that way of being like, this is a great day. Things are going like, again, really well, considering I've never done such a runnable hundred miler and it was Western States. And that's why I also feel like coming out of it. I'm like, I know there's more in me because that's not how downhill should be run. <laughs> um, and I, and I think I can improve upon the fueling that may have led to that as well as like, um, as you already alluded to some strength work that maybe would help. Um, and even just run training in advance, like being in Tahoe again, I, I really didn't get to do extended downhills leading into the race for five weeks. So I, like, I know the things that may have contributed and, um, yeah, ultimately led to kind of that decision of pushing and risking everything or kind of playing it somewhat safe and still locking in 11th and, and a time I was hoping, you know, it slowly became the goal throughout the day of like, okay, we can go sub 19. And I was like, okay, like, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wild. That's such a mentally challenging one because it's like, you know, you might get sick or all these things. Yeah. But feeling like you're not capitalizing on a strength has got to be one of the hardest things. It was. And it, yeah, it was it was such a good reminder. Like I had told myself, you know, when you asked earlier what the crux was and, and if it was the heat, it's like my mental crux going into the race was like, just get through the canyons. Like I had told myself, you're not going to like them. It's okay. Like, you're going to check them off. It's going to be hot. And then you're going to get to your pacer at Forest Hill and it's going to be time to party. And like, you're going to get to go to this, this racing space that you haven't been in a long time of like digging deep and like going to whatever your, you know, spot is that you go when it gets really hard and you're going to be fighting for this like finish and, you know, maybe competing for like a certain spot. And then, you know, I got to Forest Hill and was like, oh God, <laughs> like the, the wheels are off and we like, we need to work with this. Maybe it'll change. And obviously you spend a long time on that. You know, you're at, I think at Forest Hill, there's still, um, how many, 30 miles, 40 miles. I can't remember, but there's still a lot to go. And, um, I'm thinking, okay, this will change. This will change. And then realizing like, oh gosh, nope. Like I can run the uphills, but there's not very many uphills left. <laughs> and, and just knowing, like I knew from coming out of the canyons too, like it was Priscilla, Leah and Meg Morgan ahead of me. And I was catching them on the climbs and not Leah, Leah caught me on a climb out, but I was catching Meg and Priscilla on the climbs and then they would take off on the downs. So I, I also think I knew in that race that I was like, unless something goes wrong for them, like in changes, they are, they're creating space on these downs and I am not closing those gaps moving this way, but I again, have to like choose to protect it maybe right now versus walk 30 K out. And like, I, I didn't want to do that. Like going into the race, I was like, I want to do as, as well as I can. Um, I want to have fun and I want to like finish strong. And it, maybe that's like a safer mentality to take in. Like maybe if I had decided I'd I didn't care what happened either way. Maybe I would have caught Meg. Like, I don't know. I'll never know. And and I don't think so. But I did like ultimately make that decision to run the race I was running and and not risk everything to walk it in like, you know, hours later. <laughs> Maybe you could have been faster, but it doesn't, it's not worth the risk. Like I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I think that wasn't worth the risk. And like, if I get to go back and like race for that, then I think it will be worth the risk because I've done it once, right? Like yes. there's something in my brain that like, I wanted to see what I was capable of on that course on that day. And I'm like, okay, now I know now next time the goal is to do it better. And I'm probably going to like throw a lot more of risk at that race to do better and see what happens. And if it goes to like sideways, I'll be like, oop, tried too hard, <laughs> you know, and I'll have an easier time kind of managing that. But yeah. Yeah. And you're totally right. And that's kind of exactly what I was thinking was like, yeah, check off this box and like, okay, mm -hmm. I know what being smart is like. And then every once in a while you just got to go for it and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I guess, I guess that was my next question also. Is this something you are set on going back? Do you want it to be next year? Do you want more time in between? What does it look like for the future for you? Yeah, I think coming out of it, or actually start with this, going in, I thought, okay, if I go and I, you know, exceed my own expectations or I have a good day, I felt like I wouldn't want to go back. And then now having done it, yeah, like I, I can confidently say I want to go back. It was just such a fun race. There is some, you know, there's something to it when you're like, I know it's going to be so hard to get there. So I want it. <laughs> and also, um, I know I can do better at it. And competition aside, well, I think, again, the competition helps us do better. So like, that's a big aspect. Like I want to be back in that field and that type of field and on that type of course, like it is unique again for us, I think to get to do a runnable hundred mile, like the idea of running to me, sub 19, like there's still 4,000 meters on that course of gain, but it's a runnable hundred miler. And like the idea of running that fast of a time is like right now feels really fun and really exciting. And, um, yeah, I know what I could do to make it better. And I know, I know the course that much better now too, right? Like I'm, I think I just feel that on the right day, like the heat might be a major factor in, in how the next time goes, but, um, yeah, I want I want a chance to do it over <laughs> and, and have that risky day where you're fighting for things and pushing in a different way. So hopefully, um, like right now I'm saying hopefully next year and there's just like some loose plans towards that, but yeah, I, uh, I feel like I really do want to go for it. That's awesome. I figured you might also, because it's like, you can plan as much as you can learning and researching, but especially at that distance, there's just going to be so much room around the edges that you're just going to get from experience. Yeah. Yeah. And doing the same course, like one like that too, like is, I think like for me, this is a chance probably to run my fastest hundred mile times that I will in my life. And it's, it's going to be on that course, right? Like, I don't, I mean, unless I decide to go do a road something, which I, I don't <laughs> while I'm doing, like to be in that field and to get pushed just in that setting. Um, yeah. The hype of Western States is real and you feel it on course. Like I remember when I hit the first aid station and Robinson flats were the first aid station at 50 K where you can see crew. And I had this mental, like, oh, I got to check myself because if I give this much emotional energy to every aid station, I'm going to screw myself over here because it's like you, I almost had happy tears just running in because it was like, oh my gosh, I'm here. Like, th like this is what I've watched on the live stream. And like, again, Courtney's already been through here and like, there's just hundreds of people and everybody's so excited and like is pouring so much passion into the day that, yeah, the hype is real. And I think that's like a main reason that people can also do great things out there is like, I think there's like, a whole nother topic and tangent. I think there's a lot to be said though for the motivation and the external motivation that comes from having camera crews around you and crew that you get to see often and knowing that there's a live stream and you're being kind of like followed and at quite close increments um, that is almost more like a track race. <laughs> like, like you're being watched and that helps you perform when you're struggling, right? Like you, you're not just alone in the forest in the same way that you would be in other trail races. And yeah, I think again, like that can really pull the best out of, out of me given what I experienced there and and I want to to try for that that's super cool I love that you said that because I feel like everybody wants to be like oh I'm so casual and dirtbag like I don't care if there's <laughs> cameras that's not going to make me any better but like the truth is everybody performs better when you're being watched at whatever tax like task yeah. it is 
hundred percent. Like when you're when you run into a live or into an aid station and you are being followed by three camera people and you sit down with your crew and they are listening to every word you're saying, like, guess what I'm not saying? I'm not sitting there saying, guys, I'm really tired. Like my fueling plans gone. I'm saying, give me this. I need this. Cool me down. Let's go. Right. Like, and then they run with you out. Like, um, I'm not jogging because <laughs> like they're running with me and it, and it actually refreshes you. And then you leave going, oh, I guess I can run this pace. Like I just did like, and they're still watching me. <laughs> so here we go. And like, you know, they're going to know the split when I get into the next aid station. Yeah. And maybe there's people who totally tune that out. But I think when you are competing for your own time, like whether it's like wherever you are in the field, if you allow yourself to buy into that, it's actually beneficial. Like, like when people are having documentaries made about themselves, 100%, I think that impacts performance because you know that at the end of this, somebody is going to be putting something out in the world that tells your story. And like, guess what story we all want to have told, right? It's the better one. Yeah. <laughs> reason that there's like playing like the Seahawks is really hard because the building is so freaking loud and that there's light shows before hockey games like we respond to that adrenaline in a positive way so that's super cool that you mentioned that yeah I think it's an interesting thing in our sport like I'm super curious to watch how that unfolds over time because again like there's certain people who will have like a documentary crew with them right and I do think there's like performance benefits there and I'm like I wonder if we'll always allow that like I don't know (laughs) um I love the documentaries that come from it (laughs) like as a racer I'm like you know you kind of just have to pretend like all the cameras are on you and but yeah it's I think it absolutely can have a huge impact and that I think it's like again it's not it maybe it's like a one percent thing but it's it's a nice one and it's a fun one to be part of if you just buy into it and and let it be part of like this special day yeah yeah for sure and why not yeah so do you feel like after something like that, that took so much focus for so long, what does your summer mentally recovery look like? Mm-hmm. I know you've done some fun stuff and some camps and is it just sort of like focus right away on the next thing or do you have to let yourself decompress for a while? Oh, I let myself decompress. Like honestly, one of the like odd, like again, I want to do it again and I'm so, so, so grateful for getting to do it. But the week after, I was like, I just want to not talk about states like in one conversation with one person ever. <laughs> because I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, like you put so much mental energy into it, right? And then you're like, I just need to not talk about this for like two days. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, for me, I really focus on like having that downtime. I've had it now, right? Like I'm like, yay, like I want to talk about it again. <laughs> and, and But just in, in like the day-to-day of family life, right? Like yeah. it needs to not be about, okay, what time are we picking this up on that day? And what time is this happening? What time are you doing your shakeout run? Like, you know, like all that stuff. Where are you running that's terrain specific? So yeah, I because I, I go pretty all in on, on my planning and my commitment to, you know, training and races. So after States, I was like, okay, I'm just going to have fun. And like I had a good full recovery, like I think almost, almost two weeks. It's probably about 10 days of not running and um, really not doing much of anything and feeling like it was time to kind of get moving again. And then, yeah, for summer, like I'm, I'm really focused on having, having fun. Like I've done some really silly routes that are like bushwhacking and climbing mountains that take five hours for, you know, 10 K and like, oh, yeah, I do know those. yeah, like those, those days where you're like, this has nothing to do with the training plan as much as it does just enjoying my my fitness to be in places that I love being and spending time with friends and and not worrying about those extra three miles you know or I've taken I've taken more spontaneous rest days in the last month than ever in my training plan where I'm just like you know what I took Friday off because Thursday was tiring or you know and and I 
like normally it would be like, no, you get up, you go and you shake it all out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to read in that time today instead, or again, do that mobility, or I'm going to just actually do nothing related to athletics and, and spend some time kind of decompressing. And then I think right now, again, one month out, I'm shifting, I'm noticing myself shift back into what's ahead. Um, I do have CCC coming up and before States, like that was already on the plan. And I had said, okay, it's a hundred K we'll just see how I feel after States and like decisions will be made. And then it was kind of clear, like, yeah, that's happening. I feel like there's absolutely no reason to not. And for the last like three weeks, I think I felt a lot of like uncertainty towards if I'm excited about it and just how I want to go about it. Um, and now I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think I think I'm feeling ready to get excited about being in a big field again and running in a new place. And I'm I, like, I'll you know make the plans to to get travel kind of sorted because I'm like, okay, it's time to actually do that if I'm going to go. <laughs> and um, yeah, feeling more ready for the workouts and stuff that will help get me there. And I'm not treating it like as much of a big goal race as Western States was, but I'm ready, you know to think about having a big fun day that's hard again and, and that, yeah, being kind of exciting. I, I really like that you said that. And I think that is something that any level runner can take away is after a big goal that is a focus, whether it's how am I going to beat cutoffs and handle my mm-hmm. family life for the mm-hmm. couple of weeks leading in or whatever, letting yourself rest physically, but also mentally and be like, Oh, maybe I'm not excited about my next goal. And that's okay. And I actually had a coaching client that took, took more time than I normally would allow myself to do that. And then came back with these extra big, awesome goals where she was like, yeah, I'm super excited about this now. And it was exactly what you kind of said. It was just like, you can have a day where you're like, Oh, so I don't know if I'm excited yet. And that's fine. And I think that's hard to do. It's really hard because you feel so conflicted. Like I can say it out loud now, but for like, you know, again, it's only a month post-race and I feel like for like three weeks I sat being like, it feels very weird that I'm not excited about CCC, which is a UTMB race that people dedicate their whole running career to get into. Like that feels bad. Like that feels like a bad person feeling. It <laughs> and feels I bad and it feels scary because you're like, yeah. this is my life and what if I don't love it and blah, blah, blah. And you can feel it without labeling it. And can I go there and like not compete as like, you know, somebody who typically tries to compete and a coach and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? Like I don't have to, I also, yeah, I can, I can feel those things. I don't have to deal with those feelings right now. I can just acknowledge that they exist and show up for my runs in ways that feel fun each day. And then like, voila, like, look at this. Like I start to feel better. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, like I think it's, it's knowing that it's a phase and yeah, allowing yourself that time. Like I think for hundred milers, the physical recovery comes slowly over those first three or so weeks but the mental recovery takes longer because yeah you've like you said you've spent so much time planning this thing and thinking about it and dedicating yourself to it and then like whatever the goal was that you went for if you accomplished it or not there is almost like a I don't know I'll say like not a loss but there's like a grieving or a transition period that we have to go through to which I think often should involve a lot of celebration of what you've just done first, right? Like celebrate the heck out of that because that's amazing. And then being like, it's also okay if you're like a bit in the gray zone after. Um, And that can be really hard to sit with, but just trying to do like one thing each day that, you know, kind of helps you set yourself back on track, which might mean meditation. It might mean going for a walk. It might mean skipping your run, right? Like whatever it is, just taking what you need that day and knowing that it will change and like you you are still a runner and you are still a person who has goals and likes goals even if 
they're not jumping out at you right away. Like you said about your athlete. Yeah, for sure. And maybe it's just, it's probably Instagram and all these things and all that we read and trying to just like see the reality of it. So it's nice when people of your caliber are open about it as well. Thanks. Yes. Katie Scheid just wrote a nice post that was like, am I recovered from States? I don't actually know yet. And that was so cool to see because again, on the flip side, we have Courtney who just went and did another amazing thing with the course record at Hard Rock. So again, it's like everybody is different. And, and then, you know, again, remembering for 99% of people, like there's a day job and family and other things in between. And sometimes our attention does just have to drift elsewhere. And that's like a really healthy thing too. Yeah. And it doesn't make you not a runner or take anything away from your previous accomplishments. Yeah. So we're, we're almost out of time, but you did mention something there really quick, which I always think is a super interesting topic. And I want to ask your Cole's notes and maybe we'll dive it into another day. I, I know that you're a full-time coach right now mm-hmm. and you said briefly, like, can I go and compete just for fun or, or run just for fun and not compete as a coach? Is there like mm-hmm. a, a worry in there or something that's like, if I'm not 11th at Western States, then I'm not good enough to coach or mm-hmm. do you just mm-hmm. know that your credibility comes from your knowledge on training and the science or how does that all resonate with you? Yeah, I think, uh, I think like, again, human level answer, like, of course, like there's a, there's a part of, I think, again, we all face the imposter syndrome in so many different areas of life. And there's a part of me that's like, am I good enough as 11th at States, you know, like, and then, but then I'm very quick to head check that and be like, no, like I know I don't have my coach because of his performances. I have my coach because of his training theory, who he is as a person and what, like what he does as a coach. So, and that's, I don't want to be a coach because of my performances. I know that is a way obviously of having your name out there and it can be inspiring for people, but that is not what determines. And I, I would stand by this true, like through and through, that is not what determines a good coach. A good coach to me is somebody who is science-based learning, works alongside their athletes, has strong communication, is empathetic, this whole other list um, that has very little to do with running and um, their own individual, like running accomplishments. So yeah, it, it's like, it's natural and it definitely pops up as probably more of that like imposter type thought, but it's quickly squashed and uh, put aside because like, no, like if somebody were with me because of how I perform, I would say, well, also I will not coach you how my coach coaches me. Like that's not good coaching either. <laughs> so yeah, it's easy, it's easy to set aside, but it does come up in the way that like, there's maybe that expect felt uh, perceived expectation um, that if when you're racing and you're competitive and you're all in on the sport that you'll be like all in every time. And like, sometimes I'm like, I don't know, the goal might be to come out of the race with a new best friend. You know, like I said with CCC jokingly that I was like, if I'm not stoked, it stands like the CCC stands for the three cities you run through Chamonix, Cormier, and another one whose name I will know within the next few weeks. And, um, I was like, I'm just going to call it croissants, 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 because <laughs> I just want to eat croissants and run. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's going to be my CCC race. And, but yeah, like there's always that feeling, you know, when you work with athletes and I'm sure you've had this, like, and when you're just kind of public about your running and your goals, just on, even on social media, right? People are like, oh, go crush it. Hope you do great. And you're like, cool. Like, I, I don't, like, you don't want to like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm right. I might not like do great. And I'm okay with that this time. Um, but sometimes you feel like you have to validate that, right? Of being like, I'm going in and not trying. And like, that's not what I do either. I won't do that because that's never really the case. Um, and I think it's important to yeah set those goals and 
whatever they are, right? Like maybe it's process goals of how I'm going to fuel or approach a race or my mental headspace in the race versus a performance outcome. Um, Cause I do that a lot too, but yeah, there's definitely, like I said, that just go back to not make a huge tangent. There's definitely that like imposter thought that pops up of if I don't do well enough, will I be assessed in other domains of my life? And just like I would say to any of my athletes of like, who, you know, there's all the people who think if I don't do well and reach my goal or don't make cutoffs, then was my time wasted training and the time I chose yeah. to away from my family? And it's like, no, like, no, no, no. Like so deeply, no. <laughs> um, totally. It all- and, but it's so easy to say that to somebody else. And then yeah. another thing to just sort of let it pop into your head before you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you're like, okay, this thought needs to go in a little box for now and yeah. we will attack you in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think you actually articulated that super well and a big part that sticks out to me that I feel like is what I enjoy most about coaching too is being able to be empathetic. And Mm -hmm. you also then can relate to your athletes Mm -hmm. if you're like sometimes, like you said, your goals are process goals or different things or eating croissants or making friends. And then you're like, yeah, we can get you to your goal because I have all of them. Yeah, I think that racing for me, like I love it as an athlete and I have big goals for myself. But as a coach, I love racing because I think it gives me that ability to be more of a mentor to my athletes and have these relatable topics like we didn't even get into it but like experiencing chafing and how to cope with that on the run and like going to the bathroom on the trail right and all like the fun things not they're not always fun but all the things that come up that every racer of every level experiences like that's what I get out of it from a coaching perspective not how did I perform right like that's a different hat and like again I'm very invested in that one too but yeah it's different yeah totally I love that and it's um it actually amazed me we won't go on too many coaching tangents here, but mm-hmm. the satisfaction from somebody actually finishing their first 50 K or somebody that you've worked with reach a goal. Um, mm. I am, is like parallel with any races I run myself now. Like it's so fun. Oh yeah. Like I, every like after race recaps or, you know, seeing things happen on like today, I'm like, I've already opened two logs and like had happy tears. <laughs> like I didn't cry on my own finish line, but I, or like live tracking on Instagram. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that person's putting me, putting me in their first trail race or whatever it is. And it's just like, yeah, it definitely uh, parallels it. And I hope all athletes know that, that like their successes are inspiring again at every level. Last question. Do you think you are going to run races when you're 70? Like these amazing Instagram people that we see, um, one of whom you sent me. And what kind of like 70 year old race goals do you dream about? If any? Oh my God, I, I hope so. I so hope so um that's like like when I see those people I'm so inspired because that's where I hope to be right like I don't do this so that and I think that shows in my racing I don't show up and blow up very often maybe because I'm really cautious because I want to be doing this when I'm 70 um too cautious maybe sometimes but like yeah I absolutely want to do that I I hope to be something like like I don't know if I'll be as cool as Pam Reed who's doing like all you know western states then um bad water than hard rock like that that's amazing but I hope to still be doing things in the mountains I would love to think as I get older that I could do the longer things still really well like the 200 milers I don't think to be fair I do not think people need to retire into those but I hope that my body can handle those types of distances and I can like enjoy uh, races maybe with cutoff times like that that like allow me to move in different ways um, I don't know, maybe we'll break some master's records down the road, but the women are setting them pretty darn fast right now. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like my algorithm on Instagram or what, but the reason I asked the question is that's exactly it. I keep getting these like hundred year old women rakes like 50 meter dash and I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Or like 
again, she's not like I wouldn't put her in the that same age category yet, but like Becky Bates at Hard Rock, like amazing up through the top ten, and she's sixty one, and I was just like, what? Like that's that's incredible. So yeah, I want to be like them when I grow up. <laughs> um, oh, and their records that. right now are making that look uh, incredibly intimidating in all the right ways. <laughs> totally, but it's so fun in this sport too, where like it's not like you fizzle out at 35, like a hockey player or something. No, thank goodness. Um, I'm 34. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Like there's so many, like, obviously you have like decades of fast running and then, yeah, you can retire into these other like epic sections of the sport that are equally as satisfying. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I hope to still be doing it for sure. So. Well, I trust that you will. Thank you. Um, so I can't believe we've chatted for an hour already. Cause I was just like, wait, this can't be right. Um, <laughs> But we are. So thank you so much for your time. And I mean, anybody that wants to see more of your Western States journey, um, plug all your stuff, Instagram, coaching, email, um, if you're taking on new clients. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, Instagram, Adventures of Genthar, every time that's in the show notes. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then my coaching is PacificPineRunningCo.com. if this is yeah airing soon, currently, like obviously reach out and uh, we can always connect or find out like I'm right now I'm looking more sort of have athletes starting in fall or winter potentially. Um, but yeah, reach out. It's a great time to start thinking about the next year as all these fun races happen and you're going, Oh, I wanted to do that. Oh, I want to do that. Uh, yeah, you got to sign up like today. The signups will open sooner than you think. And training should always yeah. start sooner than you think. So that's yeah. Yeah, a little plug. And then, um, I, th- I think those are probably the best too. I'm up on Strava under my full name, Jenny Quilty, but uh, between Instagram or the website has a contact us or it's just pacificpinerunningco at gmail.com. And that's yeah where you can find out more. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll plug to all of those and thank you so much and good luck in all of your upcoming races. And I'm sure we'll chat again. Thank you.